gospel on this Wednesday, February the 16th, in the year of our Lord, 2022. I'm Pastor Tom Baker, and we're continuing our study on Proverbs. We're going to be looking at chapter 4, verses 10 through 19. Before we start, there was a little ad just before this program that Pastor Ziegler is going to be talking on the Lutheran Hour this Sunday, and the subject is going to be law and gospel. Yes, we encourage you to listen to KFUO's Lutheran Hour because you'll learn that law and gospel is really the key ingredient in understanding the Scripture. And that's why Solomon was inspired by the Holy Spirit to write what he has written. This is his fifth address to his son, and it really talks about the difference between the wicked, that is, those who are unbelievers, and the righteous, those who are believers. So beginning with verse 10, hear my son and accept my words that the years of your life may be many. Now, we really need to look closely at this verse. It can be translated, listen, my son, and accept my words. In other words, the words that Solomon is speaking to his son are those that will help the son to become a better citizen of this world. Why? Because when God created the world, and we've mentioned this before, he set up certain laws. You're very familiar with physical laws, like uh, gravity, etc. Uh, you jump out of a window, you're going to go down, not up. At any rate, he also has what we call laws of ethics. There are certain things that if you do them, you're going to have a wonderful life. And if you don't do them, well, you're going to have problems. Now, doing them, you would think, oh, so your works make the difference. No, they don't. But when you believe in Jesus, you have an attitude towards him that you hope to really help him out with your works in maybe being part of the church, sharing the message, uh, worshiping him, giving him thanks. And at the end of this first verse, it says that the years of your life may be many. Now, it's talking not only about life here on, church, uh, on earth, but also everlasting life, that they will be going on and on and on. So what is this verse saying? You cannot increase your life. That is a work of God. So this first verse gives all the credit to God and his doing in order that the years of your life may be many. And your years of your life will be many when you listen 
to Solomon's advice, advice to his son. And of course, that advice we've already looked at in previous chapters really means believing in the coming Savior, Jesus Christ, who will come to pay for your sins so that you will be really free on the day of judgment to go into heaven. So Solomon continues, verse 11. I have taught you the way of wisdom. Now, what's the way of wisdom? The word way has already been used in Proverbs, referring to both the way of the believer and the way of the unbeliever. Jesus talked about the two ways, one being broad, the other one being narrow. And the narrow way is through faith in Jesus Christ. But Solomon, in this verse, explains what the way of wisdom is in the very next phrase. I have led you in the paths of uprightness or righteousness. In other words, Abraham's a great example. God said, you're going to have a baby. Didn't seem possible with the age of Sarah, but Abraham believed, and he was declared righteous. Notice, Abraham was not declared righteous because he did righteous good works. No, he continued to be a sinner. He was declared righteous because he believed the promise of God. That is really the essence of law and gospel. You could have been saved by your works. What? If you had remained in the Garden of Eden and never sinned. Because all your works God would have recognized as believing in him, and the motivation, therefore, was spiritual. But as soon as Adam and Eve sinned, as the lesson for this coming week is going to say, in Adam and Eve, death came into the world. Now, also did come righteousness through one man, Jesus Christ. That's the path of uprightness. And so a good father will tell his children what is the path of uprightness. By what? By talking to them about the Bible. We would often at the end of a dinner go through a Bible verse and my dad would ask us questions and we would attempt to answer them. Now, they were really easy questions because all you had to do was listen to the Bible. And so it was pretty interesting that we really got to know quite a bit what the Bible had to say. So, verse 12, when you walk, your step will not be hampered, and if you run, you will not stumble. Now, to whom is he speaking? He's talking to those who are on the path of uprightness. In other words, when you walk, your step will not be hampered. Now, it it appears 
that in our lives, we are often hampered. And we would think, well, my step is being hampered. I had plans to do this project, and one thing after the other hampered me in doing that. Well, we need to understand that that's not what Jesus is saying about your step not being hampered. You can do individual tasks, but it is God who will allow you to continue, and he'll work good out of even what you think are items that hamper your progress. And if you run, you will not stumble. Now, another word for stumble, and we're going to be taking a look at that a little more, is to trip. In other words, you will not trip into the kingdom of Satan when you run. There are many times that we may be tempted, but 1 Corinthians 10.13 explains and reveals that you will not be tempted beyond your ability to endure with the help of Jesus Christ. So how does that happen? Verse 13, keep hold of instruction. Do not let go. Guard her for she is your life. Now, the first question that comes up, who is her? Because that's the feminine. If you go back, a lot of times words in the Hebrew are declined as masculine, feminine, or neuter. But the word instruction is really a masculine word. So why does Solomon say, do not let go, guard her? Because he's talking about what he already has mentioned in verse 11. I have taught you the way of wisdom. And the word wisdom in the Hebrew is in the feminine. And so to guard her means to keep hold of wisdom's instruction. Now, that word instruction can also refer to discipline. We mentioned this, that who as a parent ever receives a child who is not a sinner? So a lot of times our instruction is a way of discipling them as to what and how they are to behave in this world that God has created. So what you have, you have a positive command, keep hold of instruction. And then you have a negative command, do not let go. In other words, when you hear what your father has to say about the way of life in this universe God has created, guard that wisdom, for she is your life. What did Jesus say? I am the way, the truth, and the life. So Jesus is our wisdom. He's referred that way a number of times in the Old Testament. And as the wisdom of God, he gives us instruction. Much of Jesus' teaching was about how we are to behave. Take a look at the Sermon on the Mount. It's 
one explanation of law after another. For example, murder or killing does not occur just when you take someone's life without God's permission, but when you hate a person, when you speak ill of them, you are hurting or harming your neighbor. So, Jesus' instruction was to indicate what God is looking for is a love of the enemy. In fact, the readings where Jesus talks about love your enemy also talked about Joseph when he revealed himself as Pharaoh's next in command to his brothers who thought, well, he's probably dead by now because they had sold him into slavery. And when he revealed to them, I am Joseph, your brother, they couldn't even talk because they were so afraid what he was going to do to them for what they had done to him. But instead, Joseph says something that really ought to be your motto. What happened to me is not just your doing, but God used it in order that I could save many, many people, including the Israelites who were out of food and Joseph had them move to a place in Egypt called Goshen where they were able to live for 400 years. Now, they got into slavery, and that's what led to the Passover and them leaving Egypt. But during this time, uh, Solomon says to his son, do not enter the path of the wicked and do not walk in the way of the evil. Now, what Solomon's talking about is the way of unbelievers. They automatically are wicked and they are evil because they don't believe in Jesus Christ. They think that they can get ahead in life by their own doings, by their own means, and they're not aware of the fact that in Christ, They have a totally different attitude towards ethics, towards how to live with other people, as Jesus himself explained, both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. So there are two paths, the wicked and the righteous. As to the path of the wicked, verse 15, avoid it. Do not travel on it, turn away from it, and pass on. Well, we're finding that that path of the wicked is really tempting for young people. They maybe don't have a brother or sister, and their parents are at work a lot, so they need companionship. And when evil individuals suggest, well, let's go and do something that maybe even be wrong or criminal, they enjoy having that fellowship with those individuals. They enjoy maybe making money in a dishonest way. 
and, and therefore it's a great temptation. And when they move away from the church, what happens is they fall into those temptations. So Solomon is now going to explain the difference between the wicked and the righteous. He says the reason to avoid and not travel on the way of the evil is, and verse 16 begins, for they cannot sleep. Now that word for can also be translated as because they cannot sleep. Well, why cannot the wicked sleep? This is the great insight given to Solomon by the Holy Spirit. They cannot sleep unless they have done wrong. They are robbed of sleep unless they have made someone stumble. You see, that's the path of the evil. They love hearing bad news about someone because they say, well, they deserve it. That's what justice is in the wrong sense of how God is just. You get what you deserve. So they'll see people who die from flooding or tornadoes or hurricanes, and they come to the conclusion, well, obviously they have done something wrong. What pastor has not had a member come to him and ask, what did I do that God would cause such suffering? No, that's not how the way God works. He allows discipline. It may cause suffering. But what is the purpose? Is to bring you back to the path of the righteous, to show you that the path of the evil is no good. And if you can't get to sleep because you're jealous of someone's wealth or their house or their car or their family or their job, maybe they took a promotion that you felt you deserved so you can't sleep because you are robbed of sleep. In other words, your sleep is stolen by the evil one because you have not made someone stumble. Verse 17 continues with, because they eat the bread of wickedness and drink the wine of violence. So here, eating the bread of wickedness, what does that mean? Namely, you follow evil people and you do what fills them up with pride that fills them up with, they think, comfort and security when they can be evil against someone and it works out. In fact, that's really what the commandments are. Thou shalt not covet means that you do not like someone because they have something that you want and therefore you often will do the sin of coveting that's eating the bread of wickedness, drinking the wine of the violent. So, verse 18, 
But the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn, which shines brighter and brighter until full day. Now, this is a symbol or metaphor that God often uses in making a distinction between the wicked and the righteous. The righteous live in this light of dawn as they are on the path of the righteous, which shines brighter and brighter. Jesus himself says, I am the light of the world. And in this particular verse 18, what we're talking about is that these people shine brighter and brighter. It is a continuous being bright. And we find this when, for example, we have adult instruction and people who are not Christian and they join the Lutheran church. There's a totally different attitude on their part towards life because they now possess the promises of God that are working out in their life. And they are no longer robbed of sleep because they have not made someone stumble. But it's like the light of dawn. I can't tell you how many times in talking about law and gospel, a person is overjoyed to hear that it is not by his own works that he is saved. He's been working all his life to be good so that God will love him, so that God will save him, so that he will be forgiven. But there is nothing you can do as an unbeliever to be good enough to offset your sins. So the gospel is the good news that there's no need to do anything to offset your sins because Jesus has done it all. And therefore, you are saved, not by beginning to do more good works, which you do as a Christian because of your love for Jesus, but because of your faith in his promises. Promises began at the cross. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they are doing. So these are some great insights. This metaphor, until the full day, is established where things are bright. This is found in Revelation 21, verse 23, and Revelation 22, verse 5. So what is that which is bright? Is it the righteous? No, it's not the righteous who are like the light of dawn, but the path of the righteous. I was watching a movie where they were in the forest at night and they were being attacked by some kind of an animal. They didn't know what. And so they had headgear on, which had a flashlight. And one of them the battery went out on his flashlight, and he now could not walk anywhere. In fact, what happened, he had fallen down a hill and had broken his arm. The fact of the matter is that we're dealing with 
the light of the righteous path where things are so bright that Jesus is with you at all times. Verse 19 really has an insight I hadn't thought about. The way of the wicked is like deep darkness. There's another metaphor between the night and the day. Deep darkness. I don't know if you've ever gone in a cave and a guide will take you there. They'll have plenty of lights. But if they turn off the lights in a dark cave, you can't even see your hand if you put it in front of your face. That's how dark it is. That deep darkness is found in Jeremiah 23, 12. It's in Exodus 10, verse 22, and Deuteronomy 28, verse 29. It's the next part that is very kind of revelatory. These people, these evil people, they do not know over what they stumble. Now that's really important to understand. That word stumble is actually used three times. It's used in verse 12, stay on the path, you will not stumble. Very, very important. And then the word stumble occurs also in verse 10, that the evil cannot sleep unless they have made someone stumble, which makes them feel good. And then it's in verse 19, that the evil stumble, but they don't know that they're stumbling. And of course, that is occurring more and more today as people leave the ethics of the Bible to follow their own ethical system, and they will be stumbling into hell. This is a sad condition for the evil. And when Jesus himself mentions this in John chapter 11, he says, if anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. Wow, the Bible always repeating itself. Till tomorrow's Law and Gospel, God bless you. Listen to Law and Gospel each weekday morning at 9.30 on KFUO. For a tax-deductible gift to Law and Gospel, please make your checkout to Law and Gospel and mail to Law and Gospel P.O. Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri 63132 or call toll-free 1-877-267-1962. Views and opinions expressed on Worldwide KFUO may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod.